Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. The keto diet can be a great way to enhance mental focus, improve performance and lose weight. But how can you tell if it's the right diet for you? How can you avoid the keto flu? And what's the best way to structure the keto diet for optimal health and longevity? These are all questions that I answer in today's podcast episode. I want to talk to you today about the ketogenic diet and to give you my top tips for deciding whether to follow it and also how best to structure your nutrition while on the keto diet. And the keto diet can, for many people, be a fantastic way to eat, to enhance focus, boost mental and physical energy, improve physical performance, and even lose weight. And social media is full of amazing results from individuals who've been following the ketogenic diet. But there are some people that the keto diet may not be suitable for, at least over the longer term. And in today's episode, I'd like to cover the key things that you should be thinking about before trying the keto diet. And also, if you decide that it is right for you, how you can effectively structure it properly. So firstly, with any diet, I would always recommend that you have a look at your underlying genetics first to better understand the way that your body processes carbohydrates and fats. We've all seen those people that seem to be able to eat whatever they want and still stay lean and healthy. Or for other people, they feel like they only need to look at a cookie and they can just feel the weight going on. And this really comes down to differences in our genetics and the way that we process things like carbohydrates and fats and also our general activity levels. So the perfect diet for you comes down to a combination of your genetics, your gut health, your metabolic demands, and your lifestyle. And the first area I just want to touch upon here is just knowing um, about key parts of your DNA and how can that, that can actually help you find the perfect diet for you. Because in terms of nutrition, it really does need to be personalized because there isn't any one size fits all that works for everyone over the longer term. So just a quick reminder, you may have heard um, on one of my previous episodes, but to give you a little bit of a quick science lesson, our DNA is contained in pretty much every cell in our body. And it's essentially like an instruction manual for our body to produce proteins. So to make things like skin and hair, muscles, hormones and enzymes and everything that our body does is coded for by our genes. And we all have slight variations in this code. So one letter might change a certain position and that then changes the protein that is produced. So a little bit like changing a word in a sentence can change the meaning of the sentence entirely. And what this could mean is that you produce more or less of a certain protein or that the protein doesn't work quite so well. And so you may metabolize things slightly differently to the next person, whether that's fats, protein, carbohydrates, or even things like caffeine. So in today's episode, with the keto diet in mind, what I'd like to have a look at is the way in which our bodies process fats and particularly saturated fats. So we know that genetically, some individuals may be more predisposed to higher levels of cholesterol. And this is known as familial hypercholesterolemia. And it's a condition that affects up to about 10% of the world's population. Now, while that's a relatively small number globally, there are still a number of genes that can increase an individual's propensity to weight gain, to high cholesterol and a higher risk of heart disease when they're consuming a diet that is high in saturated fat. 
And one of these um, genes that um, plays a part here is a variant known as the APOA5 gene. Now, certain variants of this genotype have been associated with higher fasting total cholesterol levels and higher LDL cholesterol blood levels, which is sometimes known as our quote-unquote bad cholesterol. Um, it also seems to have an impact on lower HDL cholesterol blood levels, which is sometimes known as our quote-unquote good cholesterol. And in individuals with this variant type, then the research indicates that it would be more beneficial to eat a diet that is lower in fat with a reduced intake of omega-6s. And these, these types of fats in terms of omega-6s they can be pro-inflammatory, and I'll cover this in a little bit more detail shortly. And there, similarly, there's also individuals with a certain variant of a gene known as the FABP2 gene, and they may, too may get higher levels of LDL cholesterol and lower levels of HDL. And in these cases as well, lowering saturated fat intake and raising omega-3 intake can be really helpful. Now, the other thing that um, the other gene that's been identified in terms of the way we process cholesterol and particularly HDL cholesterol is known as the APOA2 gene. And a certain variant in this gene has been associated with a reduced ability to produce a protein known as apolipoprotein A2. And this has effects on saturated fat metabolism. So people with a certain variant of the APOA2 gene are at an increased risk of weight gain, particularly visceral adipose tissue. And visceral fat is the fat that we gain around our torso. And this seems to occur if those individuals are consuming a diet that is high in saturated fats. And the thing with actually accumulating visceral fat is that this can lead to a significant amount of inflammation in the body. And inflammation is linked to a number of chronic diseases from things like heart disease to cancer. So if you're somebody that does tend to put weight on around the visceral area, so around your abdominal area, then you probably would want to look at the way your body's processing fats. I'd also encourage you to look at stress levels um, as this can lead to weight gain around that area when cortisol is high and also your sensitivity to sugars and carbohydrates in general. There are also a couple of other genes that I just want to mention here, which seem to cause some people to gain fat more easily than others. And genetic obesity is closely associated with the storage of fatty acids. And the two most notorious genes uh, responsible for this are the PPAR gene and the FTO gene. So let's have a look at the PPAR gene first. Uh, this is the peroxisome proliferator activated receptor gene, and it's associated with weight gain when fat intake is high. And the PPAR gamma gene is responsible for the growth of new fat cells, the storage of fatty acids, and the uptake of fatty acids. And a certain variant of this has shown significant increases in weight in response to dietary fat intake and also to a degree monounsaturated fat intake. So if you're thinking of going on the ketogenic diet or you've been using it and you're not seeing the results that you hope for, you're putting on weight, particularly around the um, abdominal area, then it's worth checking your DNA to see what your genotype is. And in addition to this, I would suggest that you do get some blood work done at least annually to check your triglyceride levels, including I would look at your um, total triglycerides, your total cholesterol, your HDL, your non-HDL and your LDL cholesterol levels, and then also have a look at your total cholesterol to HDL cholesterol ratio. 
The other gene that I mentioned is one that you may well have heard of, and that's the FTO gene. It's been dubbed the uh, fat mass and obesity gene, or known as the FATSO gene. And you, I, I'm a firm believer that your genes are not your destiny. So if you do have the FTO gene, do not despair. It does not mean that you will get fat. I, in fact, have two copies of the FATSO gene, and I've never been fat, because what we know, obviously, is that it's all about the expression of those genes. However, what's worth noting is that the FTO gene does code a protein associated with fat mass and obesity, and it's responsible for regulating overall weight and body fat percentage. Now, a high saturated fat intake has been associated with FTO-induced weight gain. So if you have one or two copies even of the FTO polymorphism, then you're probably likely to do better on a diet that is lower in saturated fat, particularly lower in things like butter, high-fat dairy products, coconut oil, and fattier cuts of meat such as beef, lamb, or pork. So those are the key genes that the scientific literature shows are implicated in the storage of fatty acids in your body, whether that's in the form of triglycerides in the blood or adipose tissue, i.e. body fat. And there are also genes that are implicated in the way your body processes carbohydrates and your risk for metabolic diseases such as diabetes. And if you're at higher risk for these, then a ketogenic diet may well be a good option for you, provided you don't have the gene variants related to fatty acid metabolism that I've just been speaking about. So what should you do if you do have one of the more one or more of the genetic variants and you can't thrive on keto? Now, if you've been strictly keto for a while, then the answer may scare you a little because the answer is that you should look at eating a diet that's a bit higher in carbohydrates and high in fiber and lower in fat. In these cases, we would recommend that you keep saturated fat intake to around 7 to 10% of fats in your diet. Consuming fats that are unsaturated, things like avocados and olive oil, are safer than saturated fats that are commonly considered a healthy part of a keto diet, such as coconut oil um, or even MCT oil. Now, if you've been in keto for a while, then you may feel better increasing your carbohydrates slowly. And the type of diet that I'd encourage you to have a look at would be that that's similar to the one that's followed by the inhabitants of Catawba, which is one of the blue zones. And the blue zones are populations across the world that have been studied for their longevity. And there's a great book that you might want to read called The Blue Zones by Dan Butner. And essentially, the blue zones are areas across the world that have the highest number of centenarians and are mostly free from chronic diseases like heart disease, cancer and diabetes. And the Catavans actually eat a diet which is rich in fiber-dense carbohydrates with things like starchy tubers, coconut meat and fresh food. So... Um, the point here to note is that they're consuming whole food sources of carbohydrates and not processed carbs like um, bread or pasta. And as I've already mentioned, you can find out the exact type of diet that's right for you by having a look at your genetics. And that will give you not just your sensitivity to fats and saturated fats, but also your sensitivity to carbohydrates, along with your omega-3 and 6 pathways and a whole host of other information. And this brings me to my next point in relation to the keto diet, which is the omega-3 and 6 pathways. So let's dive in here a little bit into what omega-3 and 6 fats are. The human body is essentially capable of producing all the fatty acids it needs, except for two. And that's linoleic acid, or LA, which is an omega-6 fatty acid, and alpha-linolenic acid, or ALA, which is an omega-3 fatty acid. 
And both of these fatty acids are needed for growth and repair, but they can also be used to make other fatty acids. And your genetics can tell you a few things about the way that your body processes both omega-3 and omega-6 fats. So let's have a look at omega-3s first. ALA is a short-chain omega-3 that's primarily found in plant-based foods, things like flaxseeds, walnuts, and other nuts, nuts and seeds. And ALA is an essential fatty acid because, as I've already mentioned, it can't be produced in the body, so it has to be obtained through food. Now, people who follow a vegetarian or vegan diet and many other people, in fact, through choice, often prefer to get their ALA from plant sources, so things like flaxseeds and walnuts. But the thing to bear in mind here is that the human body is not always able to effectively convert that ALA into the compounds which that we need, which are EPA and DHA. And DHA and EPA are the critical fatty acids that can really help to enhance your performance and your brain health. And they're also instrumental in helping you in stabilizing ketosis. And animal sources are actually the most bioavailable forms of DHA and EPA. And the scientific literature suggests that the only uh, 2% to 10% of ALA consumed is actually converted into DHA and EPA. When you're consuming the DHA and EPA from animal sources, this has the advantage that the animal has already done this conversion for you. Now, to find out how well you convert and what your omega-3 and 6 pathways look like, we need to look at the FADS genes. Okay, so this is FADS or FADS1 and FADS2. And FADS1 relates to your omega-3 pathway and FADS2 encodes for activity in relation to omega-6 fats. Now, what we see in some individuals is that there is increased enzyme activity and that's been correlated with inflammatory states and a decreased need for omega-6. And this is because the enzyme activity can impact the downstream production of certain omega-6 fats, which can lead to a heightened inflammatory state. And we know that inflammation has been implicated in many of the chronic diseases that we're seeing. So in those individuals, we would look at reducing omega-6 dietary sources and increasing omega-3s. And in these individuals, it's even more important to avoid things like processed vegetable oils and other processed omega-6 fats, as these are basically likely to heighten the inflammatory state further. And the process of converting omega-6s into inflammatory compounds is called elongation. So if you're somebody that has upregulated elongation, then a significant amount of that omega-6 fats that you're consuming, even from unprocessed food sources that are common on the keto diet, like cheese and nuts, get converted into arachidonic acid. And arachidonic acid is a precursor to inflammatory compounds. So what I would really recommend here is that you do have a look at your genetics to see what your underlying pathways are. And then you can also do some blood tests or something like the neutral valve test from Genova Diagnostics that looks at what's actually happening in real time in terms of the way you're processing those fats. And if you'd like more information on that, feel free to send me an email to Angela at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. Now, if you fall within this category um, in terms of upregulating pro-inflammatory compounds from omega-6 fats, then to avoid higher levels of inflammation, you're going to need to avoid or reduce the common keto fat sources that are high in linoleic acids. And these are foods like eggs, 
nut butters and poultry. Or if you are consuming quite a large number of those foods, then you should certainly be increasing your omega-3 fatty intake to offset this. And the most bioavailable sources of omega-3, and particularly DHA and EPA, are from smaller fish, which are high in omega-3 and lower in toxins like mercury, which travel up the food chain. So an easy way to focus on getting the right types of fish is to use the acronym SMASH. And SMASH essentially stands for sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon and herrings. And these will give you really good sources of omega-3s that are not um, as high in mercury, for example, as something like a tuna, which is much higher up the food chain. And this, again, as I've already mentioned, is where doing some blood work can be really important, particularly if your DNA test has shown that these pathways may be impaired. And your, um, if, if you can see what your omega-3-6 ratios are, what you want to be aiming for is an omega-6 to 3 ratio of no higher than 4 to 1. And in a standard American diet, people are actually consuming as high as 30 to 1, which is staggering. So it's definitely worth something looking at from a genetic perspective and then also checking your blood work routinely, I would suggest annually. And particularly in people with these FADS gene variants where ALA conversion is limited and omega-6s is is upregulated, I would suggest that you aim to get a ratio of 1 to 1 in terms of omega-3 to 6 and at the very highest a ratio of 1 to 3. So as long as you don't have one of the issues I've already mentioned, then you may well find that keto diet is a great option for you in terms of boosting your physical and mental energy, enhancing your mental focus, and also improving physical performance. So how can you do the keto diet the right way? And that's what I want to touch on next, as there's lots of people um, who sometimes find that they're lacking in energy when they're on the keto diet, or they may feel that their exercise performance is not as good. And one thing that comes up for a lot of people when they start the keto diet is that within a short period of time, they get what's known as the keto flu. And the symptoms that you would experience if you're getting keto flu would be things like feeling irritable, brain fog, headaches. You may even get a little bit of a sore throat like you would with normal flu. Um, You can feel a little bit dizzy and nauseous. And sometimes people can get stomach pains. And you might find that you're experiencing poor focus, brain fog, and also trouble sleeping. And typically the keto flu would start around 24 to 48 hours after you begin the keto diet. And it can last anywhere from a few days to a few weeks. And it's caused by a few things. So the first is that as your body shifts into metabolizing glucose to fatty acids, your insulin levels start to drop. And this is essentially in response to eating less carbohydrates. Now, when your insulin levels drop, This signals your kidneys to flush out sodium from your body. And this can actually result in losing quite a significant amount of water weight. Some people will even lose up to around 10 pounds or four and a half kilos. And because of the accompanying loss of minerals from the sodium flush by the kidneys, the loss of glycogen in the muscles together with lowered insulin, people can start to feel dizzy and quite nauseous. You might even experience some muscle cramping and some people can even get a range of gastrointestinal issues with stomach pain and there may be some diarrhea or even constipation. And in response to the reducing level of carbohydrates, the body can actually feel under a degree of stress. And as the glucose levels are dropping while you're switching into more of a fat burning state, the body perceives glucose as being in short supply. And when this happens, um, cortisol levels can actually increase And this is basically to stimulate the release of glucose into cells. 
And this is based around the fight or flight reflex. So if you imagine that if we were faced with a threat, so for example, something like a cyber-toothed tiger was chasing us, then our bodies release cortisol along with adrenaline and other hormones to get us ready to deal with the threat. And the release of cortisol encourages glucose to be dumped into the cells because then we have the available energy that we need for the fight or flight reflex and we have the glucose we need to power our muscles. However, if cortisol is going up in response to lowered glucose, what can happen is we don't have a real threat and we can feel more stressed and this can lead to things like difficulty sleeping, uh, maybe even as bad as insomnia and also feelings of irritability. And there can also be a change in thyroid levels, predominantly in the levels of T3 and T4. And when these drop, that can lead to individuals experiencing things like brain fog and fatigue. The other thing that can happen with a keto diet is that where we're focused on a diet much higher in fat and keeping carbohydrates low, individuals can sometimes exclude many of the vegetables that contain fiber and a lot of the vitamins and minerals that help us to feel really energized and keep us healthy. And this can result in a loss of a lot of the key nutrients, um, including plant-based vitamins, antioxidants, phytochemicals, and fiber. And these plant sources are a really, really important source of antioxidants for neutralizing free radicals in the body, which can um, cause physical and neurological problems. And fiber is also really important for digestion. It helps to keep us feeling satiated and also for feeding our beneficial gut bacteria. So if we're not doing the keto diet in the right way, what can happen is that we end up missing out on a key set of vital vitamins and minerals and micronutrients, including things like vitamins A, the B vitamins, which are implicated in energy metabolism, vitamin C, and then also minerals like potassium, iron, sodium, and calcium. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go and consume lots of starchy carbohydrates, as that's likely to take you out of ketosis, but there are a lot of vegetables like um, cruciferous vegetables, for example, that can be consumed on a keto diet and will give you those extra vitamins and fiber that you need while still staying in ketosis. And these can also help with detoxification and enhancing the detox pathways in the body, which again, depending on your genetics, um, can be a very vital thing to include in your diet. And that brings me on to another area that I would encourage you to have a look at if you are testing your DNA, and that's your phase one and phase two pathways. And in relation to phase one, one of the things we're looking at here is primarily the cooking of certain meat products at high temperatures, which if you're on a keto diet, you may be eating um, a bit more meat than you ordinarily would. And when you cook meat at high temperatures, it accelerates the formation of chemicals that are not naturally present in uncooked meat. And some of these chemicals, which are known as heterocyclic amines and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, are regarded as toxic compounds. And they can actually damage the DNA and protein in the cells, which can lead to some pretty serious health problems in the long run. Meat or fish that's cooked at very high temperatures or for a very long time create the highest levels of these chemicals. So what we're looking at here is avoiding or at least limiting char-grilled meat or smoked meat or fish in high quantities, particularly if your phase one detoxification operates at a faster rate. So in people with faster phase one detoxification, it can lead to these chemicals being metabolized more quickly and possibly overwhelming your body's system. And if you already have some DNA results, then you're looking here primarily at your results for the C 
YP1A2 and EPHX1 genes. If you do have a faster processing speed, then as I've already mentioned, I would advise that you limit your intake of char-grilled or smoked meat or fish, things like blackened chicken and barbecued meats to no more than once or maximum twice per week. And this is actually where it becomes even more important to include some cruciferous vegetables alongside your meal because this can enhance the detoxification process as these types of vegetables contain lots of beneficial anti-cancer compounds. So these are things like bok choy, kale, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Um, And so that's definitely an area to be aware of, particularly if you're consuming quite a lot of meat in your diet on something like the keto diet. And then have a look as well at phase two detoxification. What we're looking at here is the GST enzymes, and these relate to the production of glutathione. In particular, there are two genes that have been well studied, and they are GSTM1 and GSTT1. And these are going to be either present or deleted. And again, your DNA test will indicate if one or more of these are deleted. And if you do have one or more deletions, then you're likely to be at an increased risk of oxidative stress, inflammation, and carcinogenesis. So you may be someone who has more difficulty processing the compounds that can be produced from meat cooked at high temperatures. And these um, genes can also affect the processing of excess hormones, things like estrogen. And so that's why it's also really, really important to make sure that your liver function is really optimal and that you're keeping inflammation low. And again, you can test those areas annually with um, some blood tests. And the, the GST enzymes that we're talking about here are actually induced by certain compounds that you can get from your diet. So if you've got a deletion of one of these, for example, then you really do want to look at increasing your consumption of cruciferous vegetables. As I've already mentioned, those are things like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, and bok choy. And what these vegetables contain is glucosinolates, which can be helpful in activating the GST enzymes. And curcumin from turmeric is also good. Bear in mind that turmeric in itself is not that bioavailable unless it's combined with something like black pepper or some fats to enhance the absorption. And so this is where taking a good quality um, curcumin supplement can be helpful. And the other food that I would suggest increasing, unless you have sensitivities to them, would be the allium family of vegetables. So this is things like onions, leeks and scallions. So if you're going to go on a keto diet and you're aware of the points that I've already mentioned, let's look at how you can do this effectively without compromising your energy and actually instead enhancing your energy mental focus. And in Ben Greenfield's brand new book, Boundless, he gives some very simple and effective strategies which you can use to do this. And I'm going to touch on these today together with some of my own tips that I think you're going to find really helpful. So the first point that I've already made is to make sure that you're consuming plenty of vegetables. And most vegetables are, in fact, keto friendly, especially things like the cruciferous vegetables that we've already talked about, which are very low on the glycemic index, but contain a large number of vitamins and minerals and fiber. And microgreens are also a really good type of vegetable to include. Again, they're low on the glycemic index and they're very high in nutrients. And microgreens are the shoots of leafy greens, such as rocket, or in the US, I believe it's called arugula, and things like Swiss chard and mustard. And these are picked just after the first leaves have been developed, and they've been shown to actually help modulate cholesterol, 
and lower levels of inflammation. And you can actually grow these at home very affordably. You can do it under a sunny window or using an LED light. And there are also some low glycemic fruits that you can include as well that won't take you out of ketosis as long as you're consuming them in relatively small quantities. And they're also very high in antioxidants. So these are things like raspberries, blackberries and blueberries. And making sure that you're consuming foods high in antioxidants can be really important, especially, again, if you've done a DNA test and you found that you're somebody that has a raised antioxidant need. And then you can also supplement with things like glutathione or curcumin, which is extracted from turmeric, alongside a really good quality multivitamin and maybe some probiotics and prebiotics in the form of yogurt or kefir or fermented foods that can really help as well. The other thing to look at is if you're on the keto diet is to make sure that you're getting the right balance of minerals. As I mentioned before, when you lower your carbohydrates, you might find that your kidneys are starting to flush out a lot of the sodium. So making sure you're having enough sodium, especially if you're someone who does a lot of hard training sessions or uses saunas and you sweat a lot, then you want to be making sure that you're getting enough sodium and also potassium, which is really important for cellular function, as is magnesium. And many people tend to be deficient in magnesium. So this is really important. It's important for bone health, supporting your immune system and also muscle and nerve function. And if you're experiencing trouble sleeping or you've got constipation or you're having trouble with dizziness and fatigue, then you may be someone that's got a magnesium or other mineral deficiency. And electrolyte deficiency is really, really important. It needs to be addressed because over the longer term, it can lead not just to sleep disturbances, but also elevated heart rate, mineral loss and osteoporosis. So I would say that when you're on the keto diet, one of the really important things that you need to do, particularly if you want to combat or prevent the symptoms of keto flu, is to replace the electrolytes that your body's lost. So you need to make sure that you're consuming adequate levels of sodium, potassium and magnesium, either from food sources or through supplementation. So in relation to sodium, adding salt to your food, and I would recommend using a full mineral salt like Celtic uh, Celtic salt is a good option, and also including foods that are high in the minerals, potassium and magnesium. And you can get these from foods like avocados, almonds, leafy greens, spinach and beets. And also if you're cycling in and out of keto, whether that's daily or weekly, and I'll come on to how to do that in a moment, then you can also get these from slightly higher glycemic foods like bananas, butternut squash and sweet potatoes. Bone broth is also a really good source of minerals. And if you cook the bones for a sufficiently long time, then you can get all of the joint, gut and skin boosting benefits of collagen, glutamine and other minerals that give the bone broth its rich nutrient density and flavour. And if you're someone who's exercising a lot and you're doing high volume sessions or a lot of HIIT workouts and you're on the ketogenic diet, then you may even find that adding in some creatine can help with that high intensity work and performance, especially as you're keeping carbohydrates to a minimum. And the other point I think that's worth mentioning is because on the keto diet, you're consuming a lot of fat, supplementing with choline can be a good idea because choline can actually help the way that your liver processes fat and it can be helpful in lowering your risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver liver disease. So the next thing I want to discuss here is what types of fats should you be consuming on the keto diet? Well, you've probably heard of MCT oil, which can be a really good good choice. MCT stands for medium chain triglyceride, which is derived from coconut oil. 
Now, most fatty acids have to travel through your lymphatic system to your heart, your muscles and any tissue before they enter the liver to be metabolized. But in the case of MCT oil, it goes straight to the liver to be metabolized and used for energy. And so actually including MCT oil can be really helpful, especially if you're someone that's been experiencing keto flu symptoms, then having a bit of MCT can help with this. And you've probably heard of Bulletproof Coffee that Dave Asprey originally came up with. And this can be a great way to start your diet, um, start your day, sorry, on the keto diet and to help keep you in ketosis. And it can really help boost your mental clarity and focus. And so making a Bulletproof Coffee in the morning, you simply have an espresso shot with around 200 mils of water and then um, blend in some MCT oil. You can also add in some organic grass-fed butter or even some raw cacao butter can actually make it taste super nice. And maybe even something like a bit of maca powder, which gives it a really lovely nutty flavor and will give you that extra bit of a boost in terms of potassium. In terms of the other types of fats you can focus on, looking at the saturated fats, I would just suggest that you get them from really good quality sources. So things like um, grass-fed beef or lamb and also fatty fish and eggs focusing on the smaller fish, as I've already mentioned. Extra virgin olive oil is also a really good type of fat to include in your diet. It tastes absolutely delicious and it's so, so healthy for you. And extra virgin olive oil has been shown to lower cholesterol levels, in particular LDL cholesterol. And it may also help to protect you against certain types of cancer, especially cancers of the breast, prostate and colon. And extra virgin olive oil is also being studied quite significantly for its potential in fighting some of the major chronic diseases that we're seeing, including things like heart disease, stroke, cancer and Alzheimer's. And it also seems to have potential in helping with arthritis and lowering inflammation in the body in general. And olive oil is a true superfood. It's literally loaded with antioxidants and polyphenols that can help to strengthen your immune system and also help your body fight disease. And obviously, it's got zero carbohydrates, which makes it the perfect choice for individuals on the keto diet. Now, when you're shopping for extra virgin olive oil, you want to be buying the best that you can. So look for extra virgin olive oil that has been cold pressed. That way, it will retain the maximum number of antioxidants and health promoting compounds. This isn't so much the case in the UK or Europe, but in other parts of the world, you'll want to make sure that it is actually all 100% extra virgin um, cold processed olive oil and not mixed with other vegetable oils. Now, what I mentioned earlier is something known as the cyclic ketogenic approach. And this is something that Ben Greenfield talks about in his book, Boundless, and something that I've personally had great success with. Unless you're using the keto diet because you have a neurological health condition like epilepsy or Alzheimer's, you don't necessarily need to stay in ketosis full time. And that way you can ensure that you're getting the benefits of fiber, antioxidants and polyphenols from a diet that is higher in plants. So one thing that can be quite good to do, especially if you're someone who does a heavy exercise session, is to either move if you're not doing it already, move that exercise session to the late afternoon when coordination is actually better, and then do a bit of a carbohydrate refeed in the evening after the intense exercise session when your muscles are going to be much more sensitive to glucose so that the glucose you eat is actually stored as muscle glycogen as opposed to body fat. And if you then fast for the following 12 to 16 hours, generally I'd recommend an overnight fast of around 12 hours for women and about 16 hours for men, then you'll be getting the nice fat burning and brain boosting benefits of ketosis without depleting your energy too much. 
How many carbohydrates you take on board in the evening would depend on your activity levels and obviously your own body composition and height. I would also suggest that you make sure that you don't eat any later than three hours before bed so that you're not compromising the release of growth hormone, which is really important in the early hours of sleep. And that's only going to be released in the absence of insulin. Going back to the keto flu, one of the things you want to be doing is making sure that you're keeping your cortisol levels down. Now, cortisol levels will be initially higher as you start the keto diet, as your body's adapting. So during that period, what you may prefer to do is actually lighter forms of exercise while you're making them transition and make sure that you have really, really good sleep hygiene so that you're getting enough sleep at night and that can be really helpful. So things like making sure you're not looking at screens late into the evening, wearing blue light blocking glasses, maybe taking a gentle walk after dinner and having a specific wind down routine and practicing things like meditation can all really help to make sure that you're getting a good night's sleep, which in turn will help to keep cortisol levels low. If you're someone that actually struggles with sleep and you'd like some tips on that, if you go to bit.ly forward slash smart hyphen sleeper, so that's bit.ly forward slash smart hyphen sleeper, then I've got a free mini course that you can sign up to to get lots of tips in terms of enhancing your overall levels of sleep, your deep sleep and your REM sleep. Because the other thing that's important here is that when you're sleeping, you're releasing leptin and adiponectin, which actually help you to burn fat during sleep. And this will help you to stabilize your appetite the next day and improve your adaptation to more of a fat-based diet. One question I often get asked is whether you should be taking ketone supplements. And the goal of a ketogenic diet is actually to get your body to generate the ketones itself. Ketones are molecules that your body generates and uses for fuel when you're in fat burning mode. You can take ketone salts and ketone esters to help raise your ketone levels in the blood more quickly. And these can certainly help with boosting your energy and to reduce tiredness and fatigue. You wouldn't necessarily want to be taking these all of the time, but they can really help, especially in the initial stages as you make the transition from a more carbohydrate based diet into a diet that's higher in fats. And one of the last things I want to mention here is that when you're on a keto diet, you're going to be burning more fat for fuel. And that's the great side effect of actually burning quite a bit of body fat. So but the thing to remember is that like all mammals, our bodies store toxins in our body fat. So as you're releasing the body fat, you'll be releasing those toxins into your system. And these can come back into your bloodstream and be reabsorbed into your tissues your, and your vital organs, including your brain. So one of the things that you can do here to help with this is to take activated charcoal, which binds to the toxins and can actually help your body to flush them out so that it's not overwhelmed. And activated charcoal has been shown to absorb most organic chemicals, many inorganic chemicals, drugs, pesticides, mercury, and even lead before they harm your body. And so also if you're someone who's tested your DNA and your detox pathways in terms of phase one and two, and if it indicates that you're not so well supported or that you process toxins in phase one particularly quickly, um, then you may also consider using things like activated charcoal to help you process those. So that was a lot of information today on the keto diet. I hope that you found it helpful. If you'd like to know more information about the keto diet, about understanding your DNA better and how to biohack your way to health optimization, 
then I also have another free mini course that you can access. If you go to bit.ly forward slash DNA optimization, you can learn about how to build the exact pillars that I use with my clients for health optimization, including how to enhance the expression of your genetics for faster, more efficacious results and remove the guesswork. So if you just go to bit.ly forward slash DNA optimization, that's optimization with a Z, um, you can download it there. You can also find out more about me on my blog and on my website, AngelaFosterPerformance.com. And again, if you haven't checked me out on social media, I am very active on there. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Angela S. Foster. So I hope you found this helpful today and have some takeaways to help you optimize your health and live an extraordinary life. If you know someone this might help, please share it with them as it really helps to get the message out there. Thank you so much for being here and listening to me today. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.